Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. We begin today with the dramatic shift in the felony invasion of privacy case against Governor Eric Greitens. The charge was withdrawn yesterday by the circuit attorney. It may be refiled. The governor is not out of the legal woods yet. He faces other charges and possible impeachment. Joining me in studio to discuss the legal aspects of the case is Michael Wolf, former Missouri Supreme Court Chief Justice and former dean of the St. Louis University School of Law. Also with me are St. Louis Public Radio reporters Rachel Lippman and Jason Rosenbaum. Thank you all for being with us. Great to have you. Always a pleasure. Michael, let me start with you. what do you make of all of this? Are you as surprised as most people seem to be about what happened yesterday? In retrospect, I'm not surprised. Yeah. The uh, prosecution did not have evidence that there was a photo tra- to, that was transmitted to a computer or to another person. That's one of the essential elements of the crime. So if they had started the trial and the prosecutor had made the opening statement saying to the jury, this is what we're going to prove, the prosecutor didn't have any evidence as to that particular thing. So mm-hmm. what are you going to do in that situation? At what, this point, you better get out. What about the way that the dismissal came about? Instead of it just being, we're going to drop this case and refile without any pressure, that this seemed to be as a result of the defense wanting to inv- question Gardner herself. Well, I mean, that's that, that's a reason that, they, that the prosecution gave. But uh, I look a little deeper into it than, than, than that reason. I think the real reason was the one I just said. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do, I take your point, and that is you got to find something. And actually that, in effect, kind of blames it on the judge because he made the ruling that, that uh, uh, Kim Gardner was going to be able to be called as a witness by the defense, and that puts her in the awkward position. Uh, but, she, you know, she could assign this case to another Person it, it puts in her, her in, a, in an awkward position, but how does it limit her ability to prosecute the case? Well, uh, she can, she can't be the prosecutor anymore, but she's got other people there to prosecute the case. I'm I don't know that that's a, that's an unsolvable unsolvable problem. And she wasn't really doing a lot of arguing. Most of the arguments in pretrial were done by either Robert Durker or, or, or Steele. Robert Steele, yeah. And um, Gardner did speak on a number of occasions, but. You know, the official reason actually makes a, a lot of sense. William Tisby, who was the investigator that Gardner hired to investigate the case, allegedly made false statements during a deposition when Judge Burleson uh, required some of the witness to do redo depositions. He invoked the Fifth, fifth Amendment. Tisby did, not Burleson. Tisby, not Burleson. Mm-hmm. And that, that presented the defense with a really intractable problem. They have the right to question the investigation of how this came to be. And if the investigator is taking the fifth, then the only other option that they really have is to talk to the other person who was in that room, who was Kim Gardner. And the one who had hired her in the first place. So, I mean, Gardner has nobody to blame but herself for hiring Tisby and not doing enough to stop him from potentially perjuring herself. And there there was a picture of her sitting next to him when he's testifying in the first deposition saying, I don't keep notes. Right. I don't and have any notes. she had sat next to him in notes. an interview 
where Gardner clearly could have seen him taking notes. And uh, the Burleson acknowledged several times in, in pre-trial hearings that we realize that this is an issue and we'll have to figure out some way around it. The idea of Gardner being called as a witness isn't coming out of left field. No. Um, and I think this was, he decided, either an appropriate solution to the issue of you can't inquire how Tisby. Um, is alleged to have kind of the word the defense has used is infect the case. He's accused of shaping the testimony from witnesses to sort of mold the narrative around what prosecutors thought they could prove. He is allegedly the first person to mention an, the word iPhone, which became important for some of the experts that the prosecutor wanted to bring in. And with him not testifying, as Jason pointed out, the defense can't get to some of those issues of credibility. Right. I think that's a very good explanation of where exactly where it is. What about the issue of sanctions, uh, Mike? Uh, there's still the possibility that Kim Gardner could be sanctioned. W- what could that involve? Well, sanctions uh, sometimes involve imposing a fine uh, or a penalty of some sort. Uh, and the question, of course, for the judge is, is this a, does this go against the office or against her personally? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in situations such as this, it might be personal. It might not be. Uh, the judge might decide that, that the prosecution has suffered enough. Um, I'm not sure exactly they, they could. Um, I mean, you could go so far as to bar them from refiling the case, I, was, mm-hmm. I would think. Um, so, the, you know, the judge has a range of, of sanctions. There's the monetary sanction. Non-monetary would be saying you can't file this case again. Uh, Jason and Rachel, it's less than 24 hours since all of this happened. But are you hearing anything about refiling? Is it too early to be, even be thinking about that? Uh, well, I talked with a law professor from the University of Missouri-Columbia today, and he seemed to indicate that if Gardner can find a respected private attorney with some prosecutorial experience uh, to volunteer, that the judge would say is okay. I think Hal Goldsmith did that for another case. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, that could be the possible way to restart this. I think it's unlikely that you'll find an elected prosecutor uh, being brought in just because of the evidence issues that Judge Wolf said. Yeah. Um, but there's also a possibility that they find a, 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 an attorney that's willing to do this, and the judge is like, nope, we're, we're not doing this. I believe it's the judge's decision about whether it gets— I think the judge has a lot of discretion in this, and, it's a, it, and he's, in the, he's in the driver's seat. And one of the difficulties I think, though, you'd run into is the difficulty that they were possibly going to run into with Ron Sullivan, is that is, there's a, there's a um, provision in state law that says if you have defense clients, you can't then be on the prosecution side of things, which if you're trying to get a defense attorney on as working as a prosecutor, isn't there, there state law that says you can't be on both sides of the bar at the same I, time? I think that uh, that reasonably could be interpreted only to refer to Missouri cases. His defense Yeah, that's how they tried to to get Sullivan out uh, to get Sullivan out the first place. But for a special prosecutor, you'd have to go outside of the state of Missouri. You couldn't bring on a defense attorney with current defense clients to work as a prosecutor for the state of Missouri if their clients are in Missouri. It's barred by state law. And there's the possibility that uh, Gardner's office put forth that that she could appoint one of her assistants to try the case. I think the problem, though, is arguably the best attorney in her office, Durker or one of them, because I watched him and he was quite good, was involved with this case. I don't think he could be the special prosecutor in this case. And I don't, I don't know who else in that office would 
have the experience and the ability to to be impartial to actually pull that off. Although it was very interesting, the prosecute the defense, excuse me, was giving Judge Durker quite a bit of deference mm-hmm. in terms of saying he has tried to you know clean this up by essentially throwing Tisby under the bus in a couple of hearings. Oh, um, that was the uh, Inspector Clouseau. The Inspector Clouseau. <laughs> Only remark. that's yes, not fair to Inspector Clouseau. <laughs> and uh, even yesterday during the uh, press gaggle with the two with uh, Jim Bennett and Scott Rosenblum, he mentioned something like it wasn't the entire team. So they really did give quite a bit of deference to Judge Durker, I think, because he yeah. is a, a respected, eminent jurist, to yeah. use the language yeah. of something but, but like that. Yes. But I don't yes. think he could be a special prosecutor in this That's case. That's true, if he's he was, handled it. If he was already involved, I just don't think it's possible. All, all ex-judges should be given exceptional deference, don't you think so, Mike? <laughs> well, I haven't found it to be, in fact, the case, but I think it's a good, it's a good, uh, good idea. <laughs> does, does Burleson stay with this, um, do you think, if, uh, if, if in fact – they do find someone who is willing to take this on. You know, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know whether uh, – and, and I know that – I'm pretty sure that the other case, the one involving the mission continues, yeah. that's – is that before another judge? Yes. It's before Connolly right now, but Burleson heard the first motion filed yeah. in that case. Yes. So he may end up with it. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not – it's not necessarily so that it goes to another judge. Um, I mean, it might in part be up to him. Whether he wants to deal with it again. Right. Um, you came in with the, the Constitution on your uh, on your iPhone, Mike. <laughs> uh, what, what were you looking at that uh, is the constitutional issue here? Well, the uh, the, the, the House uh, uh, Special Investigative Committee is going to make a recommendation sometime during the special session, which begins at six thirty Friday night, uh, as to whether or not there should be articles of impeachment and so forth. And so I was. One of the things I was looking at was the uh, the, the grounds for impeachment in the Missouri Constitution, mm-hmm. uh, because that's a separate proceeding from the judicial proceedings. There is no need to have a judicial judgment that the governor violated a law that give, rendered by a court, uh, because that this is really a new proceeding that that's under the control of the uh, of the House in the first instance. There, the impeachment, the first impeachment, is the charge by the House. And if there is a charge, if there is an article or more, one, more than one article of impeachment, then it's tried by a commission of seven eminent jurists. That's what we were mm-hmm. referring to earlier. And, uh, uh, and they, are, they are elected by the Senate. Uh, so the Senate has already determined, and there's also a statute that, that cons- uh, cuts it down to judges of the circuit courts, judges of the Court of Appeals, but not judges of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So those, there's a, the group from which these seven eminent jurists would be picked. Jason, any sense yet about uh, this in House investigation or the, uh, the impeachment proceeding, given what happened yesterday? How would that impact, do you think, that whole uh, impeachment process? You know, I think Republicans were bracing for the possibility that uh, Greitens would be found not guilty on this based off what we've talked about with the evidence. I don't think that they were expecting it would be dropped in this way. But because of that expectation, um, a lot of Republicans were pointing out the exact sentiment that Judge Wolf just mentioned, which is uh, that you don't necessarily need to be convicted of a crime to run afoul of the the aspects of the Constitution that get you impeached. I know this is another state, and it doesn't correspond exactly, but Rod Blagojevich was convicted of nothing when Mm -hmm. he was thrown out of office in Illinois Mm -hmm. unanimously. Um, now, granted, Rod Blagojevich 
was seen by many as one of the worst governors of any state in history and was accused of a lot of bad things. But my point – And to be fair, convicted eventually of yes, several bad things. Yes. But my, my point being that that's another instance of that principle, that a criminal conviction is not required for somebody to be impeached. Now, that's that's a whole separate question about whether – uh, the legislators have the political will to do that. As I've said many times, the bar to get to 82 votes is pretty low. You only need 35 Republicans and 47 Democrats to get to that number. I would imagine Republicans want to go more than 35, but um, we'll just have to see what happens in the next few weeks. We actually had a Kathy Conway, Republican representative from St. Charles, say these are two completely separate proceedings. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what happens, criminally speaking, either in this case or in any other future cases but, the governor might face. But you have to be careful because the Constitution is ambiguous on, on one point, and that is, does this apply only to conduct that occurred while in office? Or does it cover – because this mm-hmm. matter that we're talking about now, the, the subject of this trial, occurred in 2015 before he was governor. Um, and in, in our history of impeachments in the United States, there's very few instances where pre-office conduct even counted. Uh, and certainly not with respect to any executives in the, in the federal system. We've never had it in the state of Missouri. We have very specific – criteria in our constitution. You know, the federal constitution says high crimes and misdemeanors and treason. Well, we have uh, crimes, uh, whatever, whatever, and uh, habitual drunkenness, drunkenness, (laughs) misconduct, willful neglect of duty, corruption in office, incompetency, or any offense involving moral turpitude or oppression in office. It would be helpful if there was a comma in there someplace (laughs) to determine whether that meant oppression in office, which is a separate offense, or, or oppression, oppression comma, comma in, in office. office, which would modify all of the previous ones. So that said, the House has to be very careful on this because the seven eminent jurists who try this case, if they vote an impeachment, if they charge him with an impeachable offense, are going to look at this and they're going, seven judges reading these words may not agree with the House right. about the how that's to be interpreted. We have to put a comma in this conversation, <laughs> and we'll do so. We'll <laughs> be back in just a moment. We'll continue the conversation on yesterday's rather dramatic events uh, in downtown St. Louis in which the charges against uh, the charge against Governor Eric Reitens was dismissed. Back with our panel in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back as we continue our conversation on the dismissal of the felony invasion of privacy charge against Governor Greitens yesterday. With me in studio are St. Louis Public Radio reporters Jason Rosenbaum and Rachel Lipman and former Missouri Supreme Court Chief Justice Michael Wolf. Michael, um, you're not doing much teaching these days, but if you were, how would you teach this case? Uh, carefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's – well, there's, there's a couple aspects of it that I find interesting. I think the uh, – I mean, in, for the public, for all of the detail we just went through in the last uh, – in our first segment, there's a real civics lesson in here. Uh, and think about this. The, 
the governor of the state of Missouri, and hold two thoughts in your mind. One is he was treated worse than many people in the criminal justice system, and he was treated better than many people in the criminal justice system. So maybe my point would be, is it time that we should start talking about reforming the criminal justice system? Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot wrong that's brought out here. There's a lot of things that that we could do better that certainly are are here. And the interpretation, uh, the use of the grand jury, for example, Mm -hmm. that's an interesting point. And that is you get the grand jury to, to do an indictment without having presented them evidence as to all of the elements of this particular Offense. So there's a lot in here to teach. What, how is he treated better and worse? Well, uh, for one thing, uh, this level of felony usually don't uh, have somebody go on for four days with of jury selection. <laughs> you, uh, you also don't have about a million dollars worth of attorneys on your side for most class right. D and E felonies and, because most defendants can't afford a million dollars of attorneys. And exactly. motions for this and motions mm-hmm. for that. I mean, there are so many motions. And I don't know. They went to. I think they went to the court of appeals a couple of times. I Which mean, is so, Supreme Court once, right? I think, so, yeah. so there's 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 a lot of lawyering in here that the average person doesn't get. On the other hand, you sometimes have to ask yourself: Well, if this weren't the governor of Missouri, what would the regular police police authorities and the prosecution do? Well, and 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 Gardner is also facing. I know this is going to be a topic for another show, but the circuit attorney's office is also facing accusations that exactly the the, the discovery, the evidence turning over problems that they had in this case happens routinely for felony defendants without a Scott Rosenblum and Ed Dowd, a Jim Martin on their side. A judge just yesterday or today, I can't remember which, ordered the state to respond to a court filing from the public defender's office here in the city that says these discovery problems are leading to people being in in prison for longer, not getting a fair trial, and the circuit attorney's office has been required to respond to that. Because they've been holding them with pretrial. Uh, in fact, they're, they're the and I saw the petition that was filed by Mary Fox, the mm-hmm. public defender, uh, that there's you know they wait routinely for months sitting in jail because they can't make bail. Mm-hmm. So if you got the circuit attorney's office responding to discovery in a timely way, you wouldn't have as many people being held in jail. And if you did the bail system better, you'd have fewer people being held in jail because they're not flight risks. That's the reason for holding them. Uh, and it seems to me that, that one of the issues that the city faces is what are you going to do with the workhouse? It's a, not that good a place. Yeah. And maybe you should, Maybe if you reformed the system, maybe you could even close the dang place. Yeah, I, I think the other thing that has been really evident is I understand there's a lot of people that are really upset with Greitens actions um, and what he's admitted to, which is having the extramarital affair. It certainly doesn't help that the House report um, had the woman accusing him of some pretty heinous behavior, behavior which Greitens denies. But there's an important principle at stake when you're in criminal trials that it's not up to the defense to prove the prosecution's case for them. Mm-hmm. There, I, heard, I saw a lot of, like, Twitter traffic where they said, well, you know, Greitens should just turn over, you know, all of his phones and, you know, he should be forthright in saying if he did it or not. Well, I certainly would have liked him to talk to reporters about this. I was very outspoken about that. But that's not – 
how the criminal justice system works. It's up to the prosecution to have enough evidence to prove what they're charging defendants to. And they, they, if they didn't have a photo that they accused Greitens of taking, they were already behind the eight ball, and it wasn't Greitens' responsibility to prove it for them. You mentioned uh, social media, and uh, I've seen a number of comments on Twitter and on Facebook as well suggesting that uh, Kim Gardner is the one who should resign because of her handling of the case. Is that uh, too strong a sentiment? Well, I, I will just say, if she does, Greitens appoints her replacement. <laughs> so, of course. Well, <laughs> do, do you want to be circuit attorney, Judge Wolf? Uh, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I've got other things to do. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is an interesting point. I mean, it you I, we're not obviously going to express an opinion on whether sure. we believe that Gardner should resign, um, but. Yeah, I think, you know, does it raise questions about, again, how she handles other cases if in what is arguably or maybe inarguably going to be the highest profile case of her career turns out the way that it does because of things that her office did or didn't do? Yeah, You know, she was elected, and I think you got to give an elected official the opportunity to do what they're going to do. And, uh, I mean, she hasn't committed, uh, as far as I can tell, she hasn't committed an impeachable offense or something that would warrant taking her out on that grounds. I mean, this is something that the voters get to visit about uh, every four years, yeah. and we have to live with the consequences. I of was just going to say, there were, there were four people that ran for circuit attorney. Voters had ample opportunity to look at their qualifications and experience. We had all four of them on our podcast mm-hmm. where they explained their qualifications and experience. <clears throat> voters in St. Louis overwhelmingly chose Kim Gardner, and sometimes you have to you have to let that person serve because that's the choice the voters made. Our time is winding down. Just curious as to what the governor's demeanor was yesterday, uh, Jason, at well, the, the end of this. At the end? Are you talking about when he strode yeah. down, down the I, – I would say there's an g- incredible photo by our Carolina Hidalgo uh, that basically shows that. Um, but I, I sense that he wasn't really jubilant about it. Um, he's, got, he's got a long road ahead of him. He, he knows that he has a, a long road ahead. And I, I think he knows that his political and legal troubles are not over yet. But it, it's pretty clear that yesterday was a pretty big morale boost for someone who's been engulfed sure. in chaos for the last six months. I was intrigued, and I know that this is kind of sort of the way he has presented and shaped himself as a candidate, but he was speaking of this as sort of a, like, religious and a faith test, that he had been humbled and, you know, is now continuing on this this path, it, not explicitly religious, but very, you know, I have been humbled, I am now coming to serve again, and again, I know that's how he's sort of molded and presented himself, but... Throughout. Well, he's a good politician in that respect, isn't he? <laughs> yes. And we should point out it's not necessarily the end. I've got to wrap this up, but I think of of Mark Sanford and Elliot Spitzer and people like that who are in an awful lot of hot water, and they've rehabilitated uh, themselves. Spitzer or, resigned and never came back. You're, you're, well, Sanford's a good good example. Well, Spitzer has gotten a pretty good gig on cable television. So there's, there's, there are second acts in, in America. I mean, you know, <laughs> one of them's in the presidency. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Subject for another discussion. Thank you so much, uh, Mike Wolf. Here. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mike Wolf, thank you so much for being with us and giving us the valuable expertise that you uh, have. And uh, Jason Rosenbaum, Rachel Lippman, thank you. Good Pleasure to talk as always. To you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.